almost time. Almost time. <clears throat> um, guys in the sound booth, I'm going to need the wireless microphone in just a second for Miss. You're healed? Is this a Christmas miracle? <clears throat> okay, come on, uh, come on. Thank you for installing the handrail, guys. Yes. I really appreciate yes. that. Yes. Um, as all the kids know, this is Miss Terry. Um, if you are in second grade on down and you want to go to King's Kids, you are dismissed to go to Junior Church. We have a church for younger ones. <clears throat> if anyone stays, hand them a bulletin, let them scribble away. We do not mind kids in the service, whether they talk, whether they stroll around, hunt for Easter eggs, whatever they're doing during church. Um, it's part of our self-discipline as grown-ups to learn to focus on the preaching and the teaching and the singing, even though life is going on around your ankles, because you need to learn to do that. We need to learn to do that. Grumpy people in the back row, if the people in front of you are moving and talking and squirming too much, that's the Holy Spirit telling you on the back row you need to be in the front row where there are less <laughs> distractions. Don't blame other people for your problems. I'm serious. Don't blame little kids. Little kids cannot distract you from God. You are your own distraction from God. Kids are a blessing. I don't care if they're screaming and throwing a fit and you have to drag them out the back. I'm going to keep on going. We're just going to keep on going. The number one thing your kids learn from church is that you come here to worship God. And you're going to sing while they're tugging on you. And you're going to pay attention while they are going through your purse. And you are going to gently remind them to go to the bathroom before service, not in the middle. And it's a training opportunity. So use it for that. I've learned all these great teaching techniques from Miss Terry because she has gotten all of our kids through Sunday school a million times over. Um, join her as she reads from Proverbs chapter 30 this morning, and then we will have our Advent reading. Proverbs 30. The sayings of Agur, son of Jacob, an oracle. This man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and to Yukau, I am the most ignorant of men. I do not have a man's understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hand? Who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and the name of his son? Tell me if you know. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Do not slander a servant to his master or he will curse you and you will pay for it. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers, those who are pure in their own eyes and yet are not cleansed of their filth. Those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful, those whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives 
to devour the poor from the earth, the needy from among mankind. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. These are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, land which is never satisfied with water, and fire which never says enough. The eye that mocks a father, that scorns obedience of a mother, will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley, will be eaten by the vultures. There are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a maiden. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. Under three things, the earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. A servant who becomes king, a fool who is full of food, an unloved woman who is married, and a maidservant who displaces her mistress. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Conies are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in the king's palaces. There are three things that are stately in their stride, four that move with stately bearing. A lion, mighty among beasts, who retreats before nothing. A strutting rooster, a he-goat, and a king with his army around him. If you have played the fool and exalted yourself, or if you have planned evil, clap your hand over your mouth. For as churning the milk produces butter, and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. Thank you. Come on down. Thank you, Mary. Good morning. I'm Mary. If I know most of you, if you don't know me, um, we're the Kents. We've been here about a year. My husband just retired from the Army, and I belong to Pat. She's my mom, so... If you don't like anything I do, it's all her fault. So, um, so I'm going to read, and I turned older. So, um, Today we light the first and second candles of Advent. The second candle is called the Bethlehem candle and represents faith. The second week of Advent gives us the opportunity to prepare our hearts in faithful waiting to celebrate the arrival of our King. Hundreds of years ago, the prophets foretold the arrival of the Messiah, the Jewish people believed this prophecy and waited in faithful obedience. And even though none of the Israelites believed they had seen the Messiah in their lifetimes, they continued to have faith that God was indeed their God and that he had promises to them that he would be fulfilled. For me, I find faith is a little hard to define. It's another one of those words like hope that we have given more than one definition in English. Faith can mean complete trust or confidence in someone or something. With that meaning, you might have faith that your car will start each morning, that the weatherman's prediction of rain will come true, or that your neighbor's pesky dog will wake you up each morning at 6.30. That kind of faith is good until what you have faith in doesn't happen as you thought it would. That's not the kind of faith the Bible speaks of, however. In its most profound definition, the Bible states, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1 Beautifully stated, but a little confusing. The Apostle Paul, 
explains in further in Romans 4, 20 through 21, when he says, no unbelief made him, Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Did you catch that? As he gave glory to God. So faith means putting your trust in God and having so much confidence that he will fulfill his promises that we glorify him even as we wait. Faith, believing God's promises and fully expecting them to happen even as we wait. In the book of Hebrews, we find repeated examples of God's children who were commended for their faith, from Abel and Enoch through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, even Sarah, and on to Moses, Samuel, and David. We are reminded of what it is to have faith in God. But faith is just not an Old Testament virtue. Today, with faith in God's presence and promises, a husband sits by the bedside of a dying wife. With faith in God's presence and promises, a mother prays for her lost children. With faith in God's presence and promises, a teenager can see past the immediate tough times and know they will not last forever. With faith in God's presence and promises, a widow waits knowing one day she will rejoin her loved one. With faith in God's presence and promises, sinners can turn from despair to a forgiving and loving father. With faith, each one of us can live secure in the knowledge that our Messiah did come and that he is one day coming again for us. God's promises remain as true today as they were thousands of years ago. Faith strengthens us, encourages us, and ultimately saved us. Because we have faith, we belong to God as surely as his adopted children waiting to be united with him. I see faith. The words of Agur, son of Jacob, the oracle, the vision, the word he has from God. The man declares, and different translations have verse 1 a little differently because that phrase in some translations that says, I am weary, O God, that can be also revocalized as a name. It could be somebody's name. My translation has, I am weary, O God, I am weary, O God, and worn out. There's a good lead-in for the Christmas season. <laughs> but you are going to have more seasons of life when you say that than just Christmas. Surely I'm too stupid to be a man, to do what I'm supposed to do, to live out my life according to man's standards. I don't even have the right understanding of a man. I've not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Verse 4, who can reach up to God? Good question. Who can ascend to heaven and come down? Not me. Only Jesus. Who's gathered the wind in his fists? Not me. Who's wrapped up the waters in a garment, established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is his son's name? Surely you know. Amen. Isn't that crazy? The timing, the words. 
the faith of the writers of the Old Testament is looking forward to the Bethlehem candle. Desperate for a Messiah to come and finally set things right. Uh, They assumed he would set things right on their government and their land. And Jesus came offering them the kingdom. But when they rejected Jesus at his first coming, he had to defer some of those messianic promises to his second coming. And in the meantime, a mystery was begun, the mystery of the church. We are a people who look back to the Bethlehem candle by faith, believing in what he already did. The Old Testament saints are looking forward by faith to what God will do in the Messiah. We all have our faith. All of God's people from the beginning of time have their faith in Christ. That's what God's people do. Whether they know he's been born yet or not, whether they know he's been crucified or not, it's Abraham who believed in God, that God was his treasure. God makes it clear that Jesus is that treasure. Faith. Faith. In verses 1 through 4, we have vocalized no faith in self. What a great place to begin. When life is hard, remember, it's not about you. You need to not have faith that you can do it all on your own. Not even with the right village can a human being be brought up and find God unless there is faith but not faith in self not faith in self which is pretty easy this time of year with college finals work deadlines budgets school programs required events shopping lines returns mailing cards mailing packages Uh, I can't do it, (laughs) that I am weary, I I don't have the wisdom to get all this done, I'm worn out, Uh, and verses 1 through 4, especially verse 4, I see echoes of Job, and when you talk about Job, you have to talk about humility, echoes of Job, especially after God speaks to him, where were you, Job? when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I determined the depths of the oceans and the heights of the mountains? Where were you, Job? And Job has to respond, I misspoke. And so the writer of this proverb is feeling Job's pain. Because you really only speak like this when you have deep questions, a lot of hurt, a lot of mystery, a lot of loss. Why does God allow bad things to happen? Because they make us look to God. And he's not frustrated by sin. He's not derailed by sin. We are. We're the ones who freak out. God is unflustered. Why does God allow evil? Because he can turn it for good. Have you not read the end of this little candle story? 
the most evil, atrocious thing humanity has ever done is crucify the Son of God. You cannot do any more evil than that. The most evil act in human history is the crucifixion of Christ. And what did God do with that? Does that give you hope? Does that give you faith in something bigger than yourself? It should. If he can do that from the very worst, wow, he's got a lot to work with with you. Trust him. Echoes of Job, humility. God allows us to suffer, so we will come to him. Uh, yeah. Verse 5. Seems like the, the man in despair in verse 4 comes to his senses, but not on his own. We know that faith is a gift from God. So verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. So verses 5 and 6, faith in God's words. Not faith in self, faith in something bigger than self. And you can't get any bigger than God. The aim of revelation, the aim of God speaking to us, we call, the, we call the Bible a book of revelation. It's special revelation. There's general revelation. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Special revelation is God speaking and revealing himself, particularly through our languages so we can understand him. Every word of God proves true. The aim of God giving us his word, write this down. The aim of revelation is trust, not knowledge. He doesn't just want us to know about him. He wants us to know him personally, deeply. This verse uses that word refuge. Those who take refuge in him. Uh, a refuge is not like built so you can just look at it. Storm is coming. That is a nice refuge. Is that A refuge is built to shelter inside of, to place yourself in. Don't hang the shield up. Put it on. Faith is not blind. Faith is built on knowledge. We do have to know some things about God, but we have to limit our knowledge about God to what He has told us about Himself. We don't make things up. We let God speak for Himself, and we just have to take Him on a few things. The fact that He is spirit and we are flesh means there are, there are going to be some things we just don't get and understand. He is a person. I'm a person. Is he like me? No, no, no. I'm like him. I'm, a, I'm in his image. And we can learn about God by studying humans and human nature, but there's a limit to that because we're corrupt. We're dead in trespasses and sins. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags before God until he saves us, changes us. 
indwells us with his Holy Spirit, but on our own humanity is pretty messed up. We're limited on what we can learn about God just from looking inward itself. So we need God to show us who he is. And that is why the Bible needs to be the focal point of our spiritual lives. Knowing God on God's terms. Every word of God proves true. Every word. Faith is not blind. It's built on knowledge, but it's meant to be taken to the next level. And I call that next level personal trust, personal abandonment. Uh, the Bible uses the word union with Christ, in Christ, with Him. Uh, there are a lot of connective words, relational words, Father, Son, Spirit, family. There are a lot of architectural words, building. We are in the body, part, like members, one another. All of those are speaking to your spiritual life is tied up with who God is, how He reveals Himself in this Word, don't miss this, and how He reveals Himself through other people. Other people are also being affected by this Word. We don't tie our faith to other people. That's not what I'm saying. But our faith can grow as we see God changing and teaching other people. What they're learning, we can learn. And they're only learning things that matter when they're changing according to His Word. His Word is changing them, and then you see them and you change according to them, well, if they're changing according to his word, then yes, according to his word through them, you can learn God's word through other people. That's the whole purpose for why this is here. We are here. We learn from one another. We need that. As long as we all stand on God's word. Um, here's an example of knowledge being good. God is almighty. Yeah, we read that, right? We read a lot of stories. He's, man, he's all powerful. Next step, I trust him. Next step, I stop worrying. A lot of people go from, I am worrying, how do I fix this? You might know God is almighty, but that middle part, trusting him, that's where your knowledge isn't going to help you. I know he's almighty, but man, I, and, you, and you keep worrying. <laughs> there, it, our strand of biblical Christianity lends itself to we stand on a lot of knowledge. But spiritual people need to take that knowledge and live by faith, which means... We stop worrying simply because we believe God really is almighty. He's got this. I don't need to worry about it. And man, it hurts because it doesn't feel right. It, it hurts to give up responsibility. because That's what worry is. You're taking the responsibility on yourself. That's, I mean, that's the most practical way I can think of explaining um, Standing on God's word, really believing what he says is going to change the way you feel. But there is, there is 
an element of you just have to trust him. You have to believe him. How do we know? We just watch. We watch you fret. We watch you stress. We watch you burn out. We watch your addictions. We watch the way you entertain yourselves. And we can tell. Everybody can tell. Everybody's watching each other. We can tell who's living a spiritual life by faith or not. It always shows up. And there are a lot of situations in life that can hit you. So, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7. Two things I ask of you. Listen to these situations. Deny these situations not before I die. Like, two things I ask from you, God. Number one, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. So I don't want poverty and I don't want riches. Is this guy crazy? Like, ask for riches. Like, isn't that what the world says? Fix everything? You have enough money, it'll fix everything. No. No, not really. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, my daily bread. I liked that translation she read. Verse 9. Feed me with my daily bread, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? If I have enough, if I'm overly filled, if I'm a glutton on the things of the world, I don't need God. My basic needs are met. Or, lest I be poor, here's the bottom of the barrel, and steal and profane the name of my God. Verses 7 through 9, faith in every situation. Whether I'm high or whether I'm low, I need to learn to live by faith. Whether I have more than I need, boy, you better live by faith. You need to learn to live by faith and keep trusting God, even though God has provided everything you would need. You still have deeper needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs. Money doesn't bring everything. And poverty. Learning to be content when you have less than you think you need. Even if you are dying of starvation, you need to have faith in God that He will what? Yeah, there's life beyond this life. Even if I die, God, I'm going to trust you. Then I really don't need bread. I really don't need water. I'm about to die. Lord, provide bread of life. Jesus, check. Living water in Jesus, uh, check. <laughs> Guide into the afterlife, the, the chief shepherd of our souls, check. What about the Lamb of God? Is God going to count that for me? Check. You're atoned for. You're taken care of. Check, check, check. All your real needs have been met in Jesus. I don't want either extreme, but even if I find myself there, God, help me stay faithful. So this, this formula in verses 7 through 9, I think this formula should be a regular part of your prayer life, regular prayer for you. Uh, I think... I think this is a really good prayer to pray regularly with your kids. It's just so practical. Uh, God, help us to not have so much that we abandon you. Help us to not be so destitute that we stoop to sin, to do whatever it takes to put a meal on the table. Not, th those are good words for our kids to hear. 
that we want to be a people of self-control, not living with the extremes of emotion or what's going on in the world, but not, not, not a people that are just, but a steady people of faith. That's a big need for us this day and this age. Faith in every situation. In verse 10, do not slander a servant to his master lest he cursed you and you be held guilty. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. So talk about the fool here and the wicked. Verse 12, there are those who are clean in their own eyes but are not washed of their filth. That phrase caught my attention this week not washed of their filth. This is a clear contrast, the fool, with the wise. The wise have faith, and faith gives us cleansing. That's the next blank. Faith gives us the cleansing that the fool doesn't receive. The fool thinks in their own eyes they're clean. They have self I don't know what they've self-done. Self-medicated, self-prescribed, self-evaluated, self, self, self. I mean, they got WebMD, just whatever. They're, they're, they're going to self-diagnose. I got this. I can go to Walgreens. I can fix this. I'm, I'm good. I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who knows a doctor. And, and, and he said, and he said, and he said, and he said, I got this. I don't know what they have done to, to make themselves clean in their own eyes, but that is not a good phrase in the Bible. Anyone who does something in their own eyes, in all of Scripture, that is a big no. That is a big eh. Don't go there. But have you already gone there? We are self-evaluating our spiritual lives all the time. Good enough. Good enough. Good enough. I'll deal with that later. Pushing things off. Well, I, but I don't have time. I've got to do this. Um, to be washed or cleansed of your filth. Man, the Bible is blunt about sin. Just filth. Uh, you need faith. Verse 12, it's the word filthy. Verse 13, it's the word proud. And verse 14, it's the word cruel. Uh, those who do not live by faith are toast. And man, have I been there. Have I done all of these things? even without knowing I was a fool, living in trespasses and sins, going my own way, oblivious to the world around me. Before I knew God, that was a summary of my life. My heart, my mind, my actions. And here's the catch. My grandparents thought I was such a good kid. What does that say about our world? When even the good is filth to God. 
never been arrested. I hadn't been drunk. I hadn't been, I was going to school. I was getting good grades. I was a good kid. I wasn't back-talking anybody. I wasn't, I was wearing what they gave me, eating what they served me. I was a, I could, haunts me <laughs> to hear my grandma say, you're such a good boy. Man, because even when I was 15, that made me uncomfortable. I never told her I was, wasn't a good boy. You know, secret sins, secret lusts and desires, anger in my heart, bitterness, rage, stealing, taking. I was just really good at being bad. proud cruel what's the opposite of that what does it mean to be wise then well we've gotten it already in verse 2 it means humble you admit that you don't know it all verse 4 you're realistic you realize only God can do this stuff and verse 5 you turn to what God has given you God's word God's words about himself and his true evaluations about your heart. And by faith, you ask him to forgive you. And by faith, you ask him to adopt you. And by faith, you believe Jesus really did die for your sins on that cross. You got to know those sins. But you need to confess those sins. The, the, the parallelism in Proverbs is just awesome. It's giving us these, these formulas over and over again. It's, it's trying to teach us, be this way, not that way. Be this way, not that way. But I really like verses 15 through 31. I'm not going to read them all to you. But I want you to get the big picture. Faith sees wisdom and foolishness everywhere. How much should I read my Bible every day? Enough so that when you then go outside, you see God at work in everything. I like to go fishing, and it usually doesn't end up being catching much. But the beauty of creation, some of you like to be outside. You like long walks and quiet places. We like sunsets. If you're really cool, you like sunrises. Just not, less people see those than others. Probably because you've got kids, but that's another story. Uh, we can see the power of God, the organization, the creativity, the beauty of God in nature, can't we? We can see it. We can see it in rock badgers and conies. We can see it in um, eagles in the sky, snakes on rocks. But it's all of life. And these observations are wisdom outside the Bible. And they're, they're what we call general revelation. We can, we can get a glimpse of just the way life is. And 
by looking at other people. Even looking at sinners, we get an understanding of the way life is. I mean, that verse 20 is just slapped right in the middle there. The way of an adulteress, she eats and wipes her mouth. I've done no wrong. Like, holy moly, the audacity to be in the middle of adultery and just think it's okay. What is wrong with you? That's what's wrong with me. Anytime I do any sin and wipe my mouth of it, that's me. And you can see that everywhere. And even when you see evil in the world, it should remind you that there is a God who will hold it all accountable. It's not on you. You don't have to fix everything. But you should see God and His truth everywhere you look, for good and for bad. Everywhere you look in life, for good and for bad. See that God is right. See it. He has said it's there. Acknowledge Him. Pray to Him. Go to the ant, you sluggard. (laughs) It's probably my favorite little phrase in uh, Proverbs. You mentioned the ant here in verse 25. Proverbs 6, 6. Solomon in all of his wisdom says, stop reading God's word and go look at an ant for a while. Jesus. Pray, yes. Give, yes. Serve, yes. But go look at the lilies of the field every now and then. Behold the birds of the air and how their father takes care of them now and again. Right? And be reminded that God loves you more than all of that. He knows your ways. He knows your struggles. He knows your needs. Get a grip. Or rather, let go of all your worries. Cast all your cares and burdens on Him because He cares for you. Jesus wants to yoke up with you even when you go through the realities of life, especially as you hurt. Go, look, behold. Don't worship creation. We don't worship the sunrise. We don't worship the beauty of a flower. But we do go back to the Bible and we learn more about God. Then we go out and we live and we worship God. We come back to the Bible, we learn more about God. Then we go out to work and we see human nature and we cry out to God. Then we come back to the Bible and we read and learn about God. Then we go into school and we feel the stress and we feel the pain and we see that God is right. And then we come back to the Bible and we learn about God. Then we go out, we enjoy ourselves over Christmas. We enjoy a good meal. We praise God for all the flavors and all the creativity. And then we come back and we read the Bible. If we will read the Bible regularly, it will teach us to see God in all things. Hence, Proverbs verses 15 through 31. God's wisdom is everywhere. Then the conclusion, faith in God's forgiveness. If you have been foolish, that's a rhetorical device right there because <laughs> he could have just said, hey, you fool. I know you've been a fool. I know you've done foolish things. But he doesn't. He's, he's very kind. This is, this is well written, palpable. We can swallow it. He's, he doesn't give us the horse pill. He's ground it up, put it in our water. Here, have a drink. If you've been foolish... Are we going to all confess today? I've been a fool. Exalting yourself. (sighs) 
Don't make me put that bumper sticker on your car. Is that how you drive? Exalting yourself? You go first? Your way? Your rights? Exalting yourself? Taking, grabbing, grasping? That's, that's the language of sin. That's the language of foolishness. Exalting yourself. There even have been proverbs to, to don't go to a banquet and take the best seat. Don't, go, don't take the best table. Best to start low and let other people exalt you. Exalting self ends in embarrassment, humiliation. Or if you have been devising evil. So like exalting yourself, that's really the, the pride thing. But then devising evil, that's the quiet, naughty kids. Just You may not ever carry it out, but man, you're the kind who's just sitting there thinking every way you could get away with it if you wanted to got that mechanical mind you got that devious mind just devising evil and you know the good kid syndrome this is what freaks people out whenever there's some kind of mass shooting it's sometimes it's somebody they never suspected Duh. we should suspect everybody we all are capable of, of terrible things of devising evil it's in here jesus said it proceeds from the heart so you need to address it even if it never comes out, because you're still dead in trespasses and sins. You're still guilty and filthy and cruel, even if nobody knows it but you. The hatred in your heart is deadly. If you've been foolish, exalting yourself, or you've been devising evil, uh, what was your translation again, Miss Terry? What did, what did the end of verse 32 say? Clap? Say clap your, oh, I like the word clap because that's a little more of a smack. Mine just says, put your hand on your mouth. Hers says like, shbam. I like that translation. Clap, shut yourself up. (laughs) Whack. If you have found, some of you are probably thinking of a parent who ever did that to you. Or bam, do it to yourself. If you are going to be, a person of wisdom and understanding, and you're acknowledging that you sometimes are a fool anyway, that you sin, this verse is telling you, smack it out of your own mouth. You don't need somebody else. Maybe you do, and God will provide them. (laughs) But how much better if you clap that hand over your own mouth? Hand on mouth means stop. Hand on mouth means repent. There is, there is a formula to the way that we come to God. Um, step number one is we realize that we've done something wrong. That, that's, that's there. If you've been foolish, exalting yourself, devising evil. Step one, you have to acknowledge that God is right. How do I know what is wrong? How do I know what is evil? His word, we've been there, stand on his word. He shows you, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Jesus takes it to another level. Don't even think those things in your heart. Well, I've never murdered. Have you ever hated anybody? Yes, then you're a murderer. Oh, well, there you go. Jesus, you're all guilty. In one way or another, we are all guilty. We have to agree with God, realize that we are, that's, that's only step one. And a lot of people get stuck there because all they do is wallow in who they are. I'm a sinner. I'm a bad person. Don't stop there. 
you realize it, you agree with God, but then you you stop what you are doing that's causing all of that. If you're lying, stop lying. If you're cheating, stop cheating. If you're getting revenge, stop getting revenge. And the third step is you realize, you stop. Third step, you fix. If there's anything you can return, apologize for, or mend, you do that. That's what it means to repent. Because there's one more step. You realize, you agree with God. Good, but we don't stop there. You feel guilty, you feel shame. Good, but we don't stop there. Just real agreeing with God doesn't fix things. You have to stop the things you can stop, fix the things you can fix, return things, apologize deeply. That, that takes years sometimes. You've hurt somebody for years, you don't just say, I'm sorry, and it's over. It's going to take years to rebuild that. The last step, realize... What's the next step? Hey, stop. <laughs> Fix. Do good. Didn't have room to put all that in the notes this week. Sometimes, uh, and this is the way of the world, they feel bad until so they do good. Uh, we're missing a few pieces here. And they wonder why they end up going through this cycle because you're skipping a few things it's not enough for you to be, feel sad or sorry for your sin God expects you oh here it comes we believe him by faith that what he says is right we put our hand on our mouth by faith because he says to we fix things in return and apologize by faith that God has forgiven us and we do right by faith, knowing God can bring glorious endings from terrible beginnings. Look where I started. Look where I am. Look what I did. Look who I am. Yeah, but what about look who I'm becoming? That's, that's the Christmas story. Light and the darkness. And this whole idea of stopping implies that you are capable of much worse. He doesn't say it stops itself. Stopping implies you are capable of much, much worse. And I come full circle to where we started and what she brought up in the, in the reading, our Advent reading. I want to read Romans 4.21. It is, it is, for me, not growing up in church, um, that, that Hebrews definition of faith kind of threw me for a loop for a while. Like, sure of things I haven't seen. Like, invisible things? Like, that's just kind of off the wall. But when I, when I first came across Romans 4.21, uh, that really helped me. And it's talking about Abraham, talking about his faith. It's a huge passage, Romans 4, on Abraham's faith. We're supposed to have Abraham's faith. What does it mean to have faith? Just believe in invisible things? Yes, but more. Romans 4.21 says this about Abraham. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what God had promised. Oh, faith is believing God will do what God says. God trusts his word. You trust his character. You trust what he will do. 
So I've got a whole line there for you to write that out. Faith believes God will do what he says he will do. And that's a paraphrase of Romans 4.21. What does it mean to live by faith? You believe God's going to do what he says he's going to do. There's a part of you that should be shaken in your boots. He's going to judge and annihilate all sin. There's a part of you that should be tingling with excitement and joy. He's got a home and a future prepared for those who love him. The fear of the Lord embraces both. I fear him and I love him. Yes, he's going to finish this off. I don't care if it's the fourth quarter, fourth down, you need 99 yards, and he's the only player on the field. Jesus is going to find a way. I've read the end of the book. He wins. He opens his mouth and he fixes everything. He's not a baby anymore. My faith is in the risen Jesus Christ who is coming again. He wins. Can you live like that tomorrow when your boss yells at you? Can you live like that tomorrow when somebody you love breaks your heart? We have to have a love for God that is so much greater. I'm serious. Nothing else derails you. You will still be sad. You can still feel betrayed. But there's a part of you that keeps coming back to his word, reading who he is, and you keep coming back to him because it's no longer I need the words on the page. I need the God of the universe. And he's here. He's here. He's here. He's with you. And that's the gospel. The gospel according to the book of Proverbs God makes fools wise through faith. God makes fools wise if we will live by faith and not just live by sight. Stand with me as we conclude. I just want to ask you to close your eyes and think for just a second. Be prayerful and thoughtful. How have you been a fool this year? We want to start 2024 fresh. We want to prepare our hearts for Christmas Eve and for the communion we're going to have. But we need to be real with God and agree with Him on how we have been foolish. As soon as you come to a realization of what is right and most pleasing to God, you need to do it. Stop, fix, and then pursue what actually pleases God. How have you been a fool? I've made so many mistakes in my parenting. I've made so many mistakes in my home. I've made so many foolish purchases, so many financial blunders, so many missed opportunities. I've bought so many wrong things. I've spent my time in the wrong ways. I've given attention to the wrong people. I've let my eyes linger in the wrong places. 
How have you been a fool? Turn your heart to Jesus right now. He knows you've been a fool. Ask Him to forgive you. Dear God, forgive me for my foolish ways, my selfish heart, my pride, my cruelty, my stubbornness. Forgive me for my self-exaltation, for my heart that devises evil and the way I hate so many people. Forgive me for my critical spirit. Ask Him. Lay your life open before Him. That's an act of faith. Faith that He's listening. Faith that He cares. But now let me ask you. Are you willing by faith to do something different? To confess by faith is great. But now you need to live by faith moving forward. Will you be okay being single for the rest of your life? Live by faith. Can you make this marriage work? Live by faith. Can you nurture and cherish these kids even if they hurt you? Live by faith. Dear Jesus, thank you for the cross and the manger. Thank you that you came, but thank you that you died, and thank you that you rose again. Yes. We come to you by faith this morning and ask you to make every Christmas song matter. Make every present we get a joyful occasion. Make every present we give teach us the joy of giving. Help us live way beyond ourselves this time of the year and live for you, that we would see you at work and open our mouths and talk more about you. Thank you for the grace that we have in Christ. Help us to live by faith this whole week. In Jesus' name, amen. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply, echo back their joyous strains.
The benediction verses for today are from Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 17 through 19. This is part of one of Paul's long, uh, paragraph-long statements or prayers. I'm just going to kind of pick up right in the middle of one. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Amen. We've been helping a lot of people this Christmas. Um, if you uh, need help with your kids for anything, ask us. We've been helping a lot of strangers. Um, if you or somebody close to you needs help, let us know that too. Uh, we have a couple more needs on the angel tree to help the Salvation Army. If two or three people can get together, it'll take the burden off of one person doing a bunch. I need a bike and a couple more bags of clothes. But, but seriously, if, if you if your family needs some help, let us know this holiday season. God bless you. You're dismissed.